0: Thanks for joining us Inside the Dancer's Studio, where we bring listeners like you closer to the creative process. Inside the Dancer's Studio is a program of the National Center for Choreography at the University of Akron as part of our Ideas in Motion initiative. This episode was recorded in front of a live audience on the university campus. Today, we join Christy Bolingbroke, our Executive Artistic Director, in conversation with Akron-based performer and choreographer Dominic Moore Dunson.
1: How and when did you know you wanted to be a choreographer?
2: Gosh, so I think I really started to understand why choreography was cool when I went to uh, Firestone. So in Firestone's dance department, the four years that you're there, it's actually about being a dance maker. Mm. So at 14, you get your first little bitty assignments that are supposed to be 30 seconds long, and you're, just, you're making, and it just came kind of natural mm-hmm. to me, and it was fun to do, and that's kind of how it started. I was like, oh, this is really fun, I get to make my own stuff. After just growing up dancing, being in class, and having people tell you what to do, I'm like, wow, well, I can make my own. And you're challenged a lot in that department to not make things that somebody has taught you how to do.
3: Hmm.
2: And so when you're 14 and, and you're trying to figure that out, it's really interesting. So as you get older, that becomes something that's a little easier to do for some people. Or depending on which route you go, you might end up in a company for a long time. So you have to reinvestigate how to do that. But if you've done that at 14, you know that you know how to do it. Hmm. Right. Um, so I think I 14 is when I really. A
1: lot of my guests surprisingly, started. In high school, yeah,
2: you start making stuff. Yes, right?
1: maybe when you're still a little fearless to <laughs> right. not judge yourself <laughs> yes. so much because right. you think you know everything. In oh high yeah, school.
3: always. Yes. <laughs>
1: um, and with the Black Card Project, you had a very deep personal experience to mine. Mm-hmm. Um, is that typically where you start?
2: Yeah, I. I'm a really big thinker. Like I spend a lot of time in my life by myself in silence just thinking about life um, and how I relate to the life around me. And so I'm always like kind of looking for what is that next thing I need to work through in my life? And so usually when I make work, it's as a result of months or years of thinking about this thing I need to work through. I don't know how to work through it. I should probably choreograph about it. And during the process of creating, I will figure out where I need to be inside of this thing. I could say there was some parts of the Blackheart project, there is this class he goes to called Thuggin' 101, where he meets this thug character named C.T. Payne, big, big, brilliant guy, and it's it's me. Um,
1: C.T. Payne.
2: Yeah, C.T. Payne. And his name's actually Clarence Theodore Payne. Mm. Um, And I had a really hard time choreographing this this part. And it took me, like, nine months to choreograph this ten-minute section whereas like... Sister Bernita's church section, in Scorn, it took me a week mm. to make it. And I realized it's because deep down I had my own biases against people who were thugs mm. or gangster-like people. Um, so I had to do a like, mass amount of research, not for the peace, but to get over my own mm. mm-hmm. um, and realize things about those people and why they live that way and have empathy for them. But it took me that long before I could get to the other side. So now I'm in a very different place with people who live that kind of lifestyle, and it's because I tried to choreograph it that I got there. Right. So it, my work is usually always autobiographical to some degree, mm. and it's usually about what I'm working through at the moment.
1: Or, or trying to process. Yeah. And a, and a choreography is a means to that processing, mm-hmm. not just a means
2: to produce. Right. Mm. Right.
1: So how would you characterize your choreographic relationship to sound? Because there's a lot of popular music.
2: And that... So, what's, fun, what's really fun about the Black Art Project is that because we have this kind of old school Saturday morning cartoon vibe. So, I had to go online and search and search for like these old sounds, like the Flintstone sounds and like how they run and they take off and all those things, and use those sound bites to help communicate the movement of the character, right? So, when Ari's about to run and he starts running like this, you have to have that Flintstone sound mm-hmm. to remind us of that thing when mm-hmm. we were kids. Um, We'll use popular music in in this one section called How to Dance on Beat, but the reason we use it is as a mechanism to teach Artie about black dance and black social dance through the ages. Mm -hmm. Um, So even when we use pop music, it's as a tool to help the story move along. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Um, What we also really, really like to do is also how do we use pop culture music um, to contrast what the character's going through?
1: Hmm. Well. Can you elaborate on that?
2: So back to the history section There is The runaway slave moment And you know Artie's running and you turn around And you see this giant red slash on his back Through his clothes and it looks like blood And at the same time You hear this really, really uh, Jaren LeGrere, who some of us may know I'm here in when he's a singer Beautiful, beautiful voice, heavenly Singing Roll Jordan Roll Which is a Negro spiritual but it's so beautiful and what's happening is so not mm. that there's something about the juxtaposition of hearing and seeing that that gives an emotion like it feels wrong. Mm. Right. So then what you're watching feels wrong mm-hmm. because it was mm-hmm. right. So this is kind of how we use music as a tool to help the story along and get the audience to to kind of deal with that thing that the character is dealing with emotionally.
1: Mm. I think that that also speaks to a judicious use. A lot of people are, are put off by dance or theater. I'm not going to get it. I'm mm-hmm. not smart enough. Right. And if there's something recognizable yeah. that it also can be an invitation mm-hmm. in, right. um, in terms of, you know, you know, wait, you do know mm-hmm.
2: this right. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. You, know, you know what you're talking about. Come with yeah. Us. You're right. Exactly. Follow along. <laughs> exactly.
1: Um, so You engaged with Kevin specifically, Mm -hmm. uh, Kevin Parker, to create this, Mm -hmm. but what do you look for in dancers and collaborators, especially for any of our burgeoning dancers out in the Um, audience?
2: First and foremost, people I can trust. Trust. Trust is huge. Because I'm, I'm working with material that's usually birthed out of what I'm going through, I'm usually coming into the studio with something really raw that I don't understand yet about myself. Mm. So I have to be in the studio with people that I can trust with me and what's in here.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, And Because what happened with Kevin specifically, because I've known him for a really, really long time, is that I'll come with these things and I'll just kind of like vomit things out at him constantly. Dance vomit, nice. And he'll, he will shift through the things and then find the nugget where I'm trying to get to. Mm. And because we have a relationship, I know I can just talk and talk and talk and talk, and then he'll point out the thing to me that he thinks I'm trying to say. And I'll go, oh. And then I'll vomit more about that one thing mm-hmm. until we start to get you know, closer and closer and closer and closer to what it they
1: is. Say vomit feedback. <laughs> right, right.
2: <laughs> um, and then you know, also that, but then physically, you do the same thing. You just start like making stuff. You're making all this stuff. And Kevin's really, really good at being like, that looks really good, it doesn't make sense. Mm. And I'm like, word, let's try something else, right? So he, I've called, also called him my like kind of idea regulator. Mm. Like, It gives me the ability to just go and go and go and have somebody else that's like regulating the ideas in the process, and then looking at them, okay, okay, what actually works? And then I can talk through what works and go, okay, this is what we need to do. Mm. Um, So when I'm finding people, it's totally about trust. It's totally about that person being all of who they are in the space at the same time. Mm. Um, I'm not looking for people to just do what Dominic wants them to do Mm. Um, because I don't know everything, so why would I want that?
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, I don't even know what I'm looking for when I'm in the studio half the time because the thing I'm after is is always greater than where I am
3: Mm. as
2: a maker, always. Um, whether it's like craft-wise or it's emotionally or it's my understanding of people. It's always a step or two farther than where I am currently. So if you're coming to the studio waiting for me to tell you what to do, you're going to be really disappointed.
1: Or meeting you where you're at. Yeah. And you're like, no, I want to go with <laughs> I'm going to be over there. Yeah. So
2: how are we going to get over there t- to that thing? And I also love to be in a studio with people who are willing to take the subject of, of what I'm trying to get after and then look at themselves and start asking them the same questions and coming mm. to the studio with what they think about themselves. Some
1: vulnerability. Yeah, maybe.
2: yeah. So, and let's just talk. I mean, I don't know how many times with me and Kevin during the Blackheart Project, we spent an hour and a half laying on the ground talking, you know, like two buddies looking up at the sky just laying next to each other just talking about life. That had nothing. It seemed like it had nothing to do with what we were doing, but it had everything to do with what we were doing. Mm. Right? So now when I'm looking at him in his eyes and we're like performing and things like that, I have hours worth of material that i can think about when i'm looking at them background yeah there's so much in there because we just talk we're just people in a studio Mm. we happen to be making dances to talk about our humanness and those are the kind of people that i'm trying to be with
1: is is talking one of your tools i i I offer that up because one of the our questions um we all deal with deadlines in our daily mm-hmm. life, and whether you're <laughs> in a choreography class or mm-hmm. working, because when curtain up is curtain oh, up. Yeah, it's time to go. How do you work through a creative rut?
2: Oh, talking. Talking. Talking, I talk, and I talk. And I've also found talking while dancing works really well. Mm. Because if you're saying the thing, the statement you're trying to give,
1: if you want to illustrate, I think we would welcome that. But yeah, so no pressure. I, no,
2: but if you're trying, if you're moving, you're trying to say the thing, and you get stuck, you stay there and you talk it and you talk it and talk it until you, you kind of hit that like light bulb. And sometimes you have to get off and talk. And, you hit it and you're like, I just said this. What does the thing I just said feel like? Mm. And then it, it takes you to the next spot. The next spot might, might not be right, but it got you out of the rut mm. so that you can find the next thing that's supposed to be. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank
1: you. <laughs> uh, if um, I might also offer, it's interesting, the concept of talking and dancing. Um, perhaps you're also getting out of your own head.
3: Yeah. Right? Yeah. So
1: if you're trying to make the work, and you know people are talking inside of you. So if I give it uh-huh. voice, yeah. make some space mm-hmm. for what might happen yeah. next.
2: Um, when I was teaching this morning in the class, I was talking about don't dance in your head, dance in your body. Mm. dance out in the space dance out in the world Mm -hmm. there's something about talking that puts everything you have out there and i don't get it but i'm gonna keep doing it until i understand it but this kind of thing starts happening with your movement and your voice and they start kind of attaching themselves together Mm -hmm. Um, me and kevin can go through the literal 90 minutes of the show and talk about it without moving what the two characters are thinking Mm. and saying to each other and a lot of times when we're like trying to work out a moment we don't understand or like, why are we doing this? We're questioning this moment. We'll be like, okay, let's go back two minutes. Let's start here. Let's do the dance and talk. Mm. And when we hit that moment, we might actually figure out what it is. Mm-hmm. If we're talking and moving at the same time,
1: it's not always about the physics and yeah. just trying to defy gravity or right. say, you must be weak today. <laughs> right. This isn't right. Working. right. But to give it yeah. actually some of that emotional and mm-hmm. human. yeah, background. Cause
2: the intention, like the difference between, you know, saying with your voice, like, hi, how are you? And hi, how are you? Mm-hmm. You're completely different, right? So if I'm moving and talking with those different intentions in my voice, when I go to do that moment that doesn't make sense, if I just came at it with a different intention, I might go, oh, that's what I, that's what I should be doing with my body. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing that. That's why it doesn't make sense.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel you can always tell when you're watching a show If it's been choreographed and then they were handed the script Mm -hmm. and you can say, I can see you're like stretching yourself to deliver these lines on top of 32 Fuete. I use (laughs) that example a lot. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, that wasn't organic. That wasn't from an honest place a little bit. Um, So that's great to think about how you're moving through it.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: I I would offer a favorite David Byrne quote Mm -hmm. of mine. Happening to be wearing a shirt, um, it is if you watch uh, his 1986 documentary and it's when his concert had a giant suit which made his head look really uh-huh. small and when he interviews himself he said, what's with the big suit? What are you thinking? <laughs> and he said, well, because sometimes the body gets it before the mind. Mm. And I always mm-hmm. love that too. Yeah. For As a dancer, yeah, I was so like, good. yes. <laughs> true. So for so sure. Good. Um, I appreciate you talking about stretching for what is next Mm -hmm. and further than where you are. Yeah. Um, And also in this morning's class, you talked a little bit about lineage. And Mm -hmm. I wonder if you might illuminate our audience. How do you navigate between old movement vocabulary (laughs) and new movement vocabulary?
2: Um, You navigate it with a really fine tooth comb. You get really honest with yourself. If if your intention is to find your own thing and kinda of move away from the thing you've been doing for so long because it's somebody else's you've learned and you've gotten really, really good at it, but now you're trying to find your own, being in the studio and being honest with yourself when you're making and being like, Nope, that was just somebody else's. I need to start over. As opposed to, well, no, I look good doing that, so I'm gonna just stick it in there. Mm-hmm. Right. Because audiences can see that. Oh, they're doing that because they're good at thirty two footes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and Lineage is such an interesting thing I've been really thinking about a lot lately, going back to the fact that I just spent a lot of time thinking, is with Inlet Dance Theater, our base technique is the Hawkins technique, Eric Hawkins technique. Eric Hawkins danced for Martha Graham. He was the first male in her company. Um, Depending on who you ask, they, they were also together. And he took Martha's work and how she moved her body and her technique and use a lot of the same exercises, but look at it from a very different vantage point. right? He was interested in how is the body a set of hinges, Mm. and how can you use the body with those hinges in such a way where you don't have to use a lot of muscles to make things happen, which gives you the ability to have a greater emotional arc and tone inside of your physique. Mm. Um, As a way to also be able to survive a 90-minute dance a lot easier, because you're not muscling everything. So Eric Hawkins taught a woman named Alice Rubenstein at Juilliard and she danced with him for years. Alice ended up moving to Cleveland and starting a company called Footpath. Footpath was Ohio's leading modern dance company in the eighties. And Bill Wade, the artistic and executive director of Inlet Dance Theater, danced in Footpath. Mm. And so he kinda he took that thing from her and the way she did it. And, you know, years and years and years down the line and many other things that he did, he started Inlet Dance Theater in our Base technique is Eric Hawkins. So every morning I get up and I dance. I do the Eric Hawkins technique. That's how I warm up. I've been doing that for ten years. Mm-hmm. So that stuff is ingrained into my physique. And as I've become my own maker, I've started asking the questions: What is mine, and what is what I've learned?
1: Mm-hmm. Also, with these learned or inherited techniques, these these were from white makers. Yeah,
2: and it's yeah, very different.
1: And and so that has to carry differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as well.
2: Definitely, and there, and because you know if. I were to be on the other lineages that you know started with a black maker all the way down to me, it would look completely different just because how black makers move their body naturally. It just has been different in time. Mm-hmm. There's no value statement; it's just different. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm looking at that and then looking at how my own body just likes to move because I come from a black background. I'm black. I know social dances. I've been dancing in black communities my whole life. So that's another. You know, learned thing. How do I take those two things and take what I appreciate out of both and use them? Mm. And where do I also just find my own and mm-hmm. not take from anybody? Mm-hmm. And let that birth something new. And I think for me, it's just it's a process. It's a process of honesty. It's a process of talking it out.
3: Mm.
2: It's a process of being okay with not feeling like you're disrespecting by not taking that thing from somebody, that's a pretty big emotional thing I had to get over. That like, if I'm not doing this this way, I feel like I'm rebelling against that person, therefore disrespecting them. Mm. Um, Or if I do it this way, am I just gonna be another black choreographer who does that thing that way?
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Right, so there's like all these kind of like intellectual, emotional things you have to go through when you're just trying to find your own that's not something they teach you. No. Right.
1: No. And what I appreciate about in the Black Card Project is I feel that just because it's a known or an old vocabulary, mm-hmm. whether it's in concert dance or social dance or popular culture, mm-hmm. how you very exactingly, I appreciate mm-hmm. the fine to home uh, to <laughs> analogy, um, will incorporate that both to tease the audience in, mm-hmm. I'm going to do a little cabbage patch, Right, I'm right, like, oh, right, 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 I'm going to reference Alvin Ailey's Revelations, uh-huh, right. because that's what everyone thinks,
3: thinks that
2: Black Modern yeah. Dance is, or yep. should
1: be, and so it's both a tease for the audience, uh-huh.
2: and commentary. Yeah, yeah, we spend, if you actually, you have a chance to see the Black Heart Project, and you really, really look at it and maybe see it twice, the second time, think about the whole thing being a commentary on everything it's referencing, Mm. right? So it's a 90s black sitcom. We're making commentary on the fact that the only way black people could really get on TV in the 90s for TV shows was by being Urkel. And they were taken in and and loved for that. If they were funny, they could be on TV. But a black person in the 90s trying to do a really, really serious role that had nothing to do with their blackness, when it'll happen, mm-hmm. right? So there's a commentary on that. Um, the commentary on doing the cartoon thing is that um, in the history, there's been you know these cartoons made, and it's basically Northern or, or Southern propaganda at the time is that they would have these, um, in the newspaper, they would have these caricatures of black people, right? And once slavery was abolished in the South, go back, before slavery was abolished in the South, what happened inside of these cartoons they wrote, there was these images where the black people all looked really, really happy. They looked happy. They were always dancing in these photos. They were eating watermelons, literally, in these photos. It looked like just like you're having a ball being slaves. As soon as slavery was abolished and Reconstruction happened, those caricatures, those images changed drastically. Mm. And all of a sudden, they looked like criminals. All of a sudden, all the stories were about these black people who were down there, you know, raping white women and all these things. And that's how they were making them. So we're making a commentary by doing the cartoons of how we've been looked at as cartoon characters mm-hmm. for much.
1: The, this was a system, a system. of categorizing right. black people. Exactly.
2: Mm. Um, and then the kind of vaudeville minstrel show, it's a little bit more obvious. This idea of if I'm going to talk about the narrowing of the identity of black people, why not I take a theater structure? that was about narrowing mm-hmm. the vantage of black people, right? Like, oh, black people, they have, you know, really, really dark skin, um, like it's shoe polish, and these really, really big red lips. I don't have really big red lips, right? But that was the image. So let me take that and also use that. So every single thing that you see is always a commentary on what it looks like we're doing.
3: Mm.
2: Um, so it's kind of like really, really multi-layered that way. And we have all these like Easter eggs inside the show. Um, we, we hint at the idea of colorism, in the black community, this idea that like, I'm darker skinned, so if I had a lighter skinned friend, there's a little bit like combatants against us Mm and actually how that comes from slave times of being a field slave or a house slave. Mm -hmm. And it shows up just subtly in the opening scene where you see these three bears, and it's a really dark bear and the lighter skinned bear and then the lightest skinned bear that could pass for white. Mm -hmm. And it's like, but we put that there on purpose, Mm -hmm. right? So there's all these tiny Easter eggs that you have to, see it a bunch of times and go, holy crap, I've never seen that before. Yeah. I see what they're doing here.
1: Oh my goodness. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I'm curious, can you then in your own terms, I invite you to Mm -hmm. to define what is black dance?
2: Black dance is whatever dance black people do. Great. Which is, I've had arguments about that, but it's the same, the Black Heart Project, the whole point of it is that career path is black if a black person's doing it. Mm-hmm. End of discussion. Right. Love it. Black dance can be, it can expand more. It can be more. It can be all it wants to be. We don't all have to feel like we have to look like a descendant of Alvin Ailey. Mm-hmm. We don't have to. Because for as many black people there are in the world, that's how many different black experiences there are in the world. Mm-hmm. So you can't tell me that out of all of our experiences, we're all gonna look like Alvin Ailey. Mm -hmm. We're not, you know, we're not the same people. Mm. We're from the the same people group, but we're not the same people, Mm -hmm. right? Me and Kevin are both black, we're two different people. So our art should look different. It will have similarities, because experiences, you know, on a macro level, might have some similarities, but... And more of your
1: experiences have been woven together.
2: Right, and, but when people make art, like, we're we're different kind of thinkers, Mm -hmm. we're different kind of movers, we're different, emotionally different, and all those things, and I think, we have to be careful to fall into this trap to think that we all have to look like Ailey because mm. Ailey did Ailey, and he mm-hmm. did that real good. Yes, and let that be that, you know. Mm-hmm. And if you want to dance for that, power to you. Do that thing, but don't feel bad if yours doesn't look like that, mm-hmm. right? If yours looks kind of like Cunningham, word, mm-hmm. do that then. But do it for real.
1: Yeah, you know. So what? How would you define virtuosity in dance?
2: <sighs> virtuosity to me. Just um, in my small perspective In my small world Is Obviously there's a, the physical virtuosity The ability to do many things with your body Clearly That's a big deal um,
1: Well because another part of your lineage Is from Palabalos yeah. I don't know that we've gotten yeah, to yeah. that Which you may or may not have recall Seeing on the Oscars a couple of years ago mm-hmm. When bodies would you know, Do these crazy death-defying shapes Almost like the circus yeah. To make the shape of a car out right. of six right. bodies, right. Um, which largely means like holding people up, mm-hmm. counterbalance, yeah. uh, you know, and that that's also exactly. in yeah. your lineage, right?
2: Right. And so you have to virtuosity is so tightly connected to this word craft, mm. this word of like what does it mean to do that thing, but it be so clear that the audience really understands what you're saying. Mm. And that can mean in your physical body, that can be in the the acting values that you bring to the stage. Um, You know, you can use your body in such a way where it's not about character, it's about literally what your physical body is doing. Or you can use your body in such a way where the movement itself communicates emotional tone. Mm. Or you can use your body where you are literally a character who's having an emotional reaction to something else that happened on stage. So virtuosity to me, Is about your ability to fine-tune your craft, no matter what it is, in a way that is clear in its communication.
1: If I might also offer, Mm -hmm. you know, the Black Card Project is deeply researched and Mm -hmm. how one incorporates that research, kind of showing your work Mm -hmm. uh, to great effect and incorporating it in the finished work Mm -hmm. is... Not necessarily that just comes naturally.
3: That's oh, a part yeah. of the craft yeah, too. Yeah, it's part of the
2: craft. Yeah, part of the craft is like how do you take the the years of reading that you did and that show up in your body so that they don't have to read it. Mm-hmm. They just read you and they got it. Mm. And that's that's a different kind of um, making process and a different kind of performing mm-hmm. process as mm-hmm. well.
1: Yeah. So I'm curious in making a creative life what's the best piece of advice that you've received and or would like to offer uh both for our makers but anyone who ever had had to make anything whether <laughs> you're writing an essay right. or right. you know building a house
2: um best piece of advice i got was trust How was it said to me it goes back to trust right um you have to trust that the thing that you're grappling with will connect to people as opposed to making stuff always for those people. Mm. Trust that the thing that you're trying, you're working through because you're human, because you're being honest about your thing that you're going through when it ends up on stage, whether it's, you know, fully produced or half produced, but if you have that virtuosity, you do it clearly that it's going to connect to people Mm. because you're, you're never the only one. Right. Mm. And sometimes there are going to people in the audience who didn't realize they were grappling with that thing until you showed them that you were, Mm. and that's different than you showing them that they're, they're grappling is that you showing them that you are grappling and therefore they realize they are. And now all of a sudden there's an engagement and a connection that's different than let me make something for you because you need to change.
1: Right. Because I think you need to do this or right. I right. think you're going to like this. Right. So that's why I'm going to make it this way.
2: Right. And it's like, no, make, make the thing that you need to make. Mm-hmm. And then in the process, if you're interested in other people's you know, ideas and their thoughts in the process, build them in. Hmm. But you have to start with what is the thing that's true and honest to what you're trying to do and what you're trying to say, Um, which is that is a thing that can be harder than it sounds.
1: It it is the blank page. Yep. Right. You know, when you're in school and you get that prompt, Mm -hmm. you're like, okay, great. I know I have to write five pages or (laughs) X number of words for this grant Mm -hmm. on that. But to truly start from a mm-hmm. place of self-reflection right. is scary.
2: Right. And, in, and it's really scary that there's no, and there's no rules, mm. right? There's no, well, this is the way you have to do this. It's you saying, okay, here's, here's the studio. Here's me. I'm looking at myself in the mirror. I guess I'm going to stay in here until I figure something out. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's many a time been this the studio by myself, And just like I used to with Kevin, I'm just sitting on a steel floor, laying on the ground by myself, not knowing what I'm doing Mm -hmm. or why I'm there. Mm -hmm. But even grappling with that, being in a space by yourself for hours at a time, how much does that happen for any one person, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Without having outside stimulus happening. Mm -hmm. And so the best piece of advice I've ever gotten is trust that the thing you're grappling with is going to connect to other people. Thank you. Yeah
1: everyone, Dominic Moore Dunson.
0: Inside the Dancer Studio Lunchtime Talk Series is supported by NCC Akron, the University of Akron, the University of Akron Foundation, and the Mary Schiller Myers Lecture Series in the Arts. Our podcast program is produced by Jennifer Edwards, Ellis Rovin is our composer and editor, transcription by Madeline Greenberg, Theme music by Flaco Torres, cover art by Micah Kraus, and Julian Currit and Kat Wentz are our artist coordinators. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we encourage you to subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform by searching Inside the Dancer's Studio. Please share with your friends, and if you'd like to help get the word out, rate us. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening, and stay curious.